Hey, you're about to hear a great word from our teaching team. At Freedom House, we're about equipping you to experience Christ's freedom every day. We would love to connect with you. We stream our live services Sundays at 10.30 and 12.15 Eastern Standard Time. You can join us at freedomhouse.cc live. I hope you enjoyed this message. Hello, Freedom House. You guys look festive. This is my festive Christmas sweater. I, uh, I was at the store earlier today and I almost bought this really crazy looking jacket. And my wife said, that they don't have any big enough for you, baby. I said, thank you, honey. You're always an encouragement to me. So I love my wife. I love my wife. She keeps me in check. Amen. But my name is Olin Carter. Um, it, is, it is really, truly the great honor of my life to, to be a part of our teaching team here at Freedom House Church. For those of you who may be new, um, for those of you online, we welcome you and, and so glad you could be with us. Uh, we're all surviving Snowmageddon 2018. Um, but many churches that have multiple locations, multiple campuses, um, have a senior pastor that speaks almost every time and they just video that senior pastor's message in. And our pastors have a vision. They want to have live speakers, a team of people sharing the Word of God. And it's just amazing. And so be, just getting to be a part of this team is, is no kidding, is, is the greatest honor of my life. So it's a lot of fun, and I'm so glad to be here with you. Um, we're entering into a series, Home for Christmas. Home for Christmas. And if you maybe weren't here last week, what this series is all about it's about restoring people, inviting people to come home for Christmas. And what does home mean? Home is the church. We want to invite people to come home to the church for Christmas, right? Because there's a lot of people that, you know what? They might not come to church any other time of year. They might not come to church any other season, any other time. But during the Christmas season, their hearts are open. And if you would invite them, they would come to church. And so we want to take advantage of that opportunity. We want to be bringers. We want to invite people. And so that is what this series is all about. And the topic of my message for you today is God's dream house. God's dream house. You know, a house is a reflection of you. You can learn a lot about a person when you look at their house. I love to look at houses. Aren't houses cool? I know a few people. I know some real, realtors in the house, some people that love some houses. Uh, when Tammy and I first started dating, uh, I didn't have any money, so I couldn't take her anywhere nice. So, uh, I, you know, she would get in the car. Sometimes her kid sister would jump in the back, and we would just go riding around town, and we would go to these nice neighborhoods, and we would just dream, right? We would look at these mansions, these beautiful homes, and we would just fantasize about one day having our dream house. That's a fun thing to do if you're ever broke and want to have a good time. Uh, <laughs> The, the difference between then and now is, is now when I drive through those neighborhoods, I have less hair, a little gray, drive a little nicer car. People wave at me like I'm one of their neighbors. Back then in my beat-up uh, Honda hatchback, people started calling the cops like, honey, I don't know about this guy. He looks a little creepy. But, you know, looking at houses is fun. You know, that has become one of America's biggest pastimes, right, is looking at homes. We love to look at homes. Think about HGTV. Do I have any HGTV viewers in the house? I know I do. You love it. You can probably name some of the shows with me. You got Flipper Flop, right? Some of you probably like Property Brothers. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, what about Fixer Upper? That's, that's a favorite, right? Fixer, we love Fixer Upper. Uh, everyone loves to look at 
and even fantasize about your dream home. Um, for most people, you know, your home is your largest possession. It's your largest investment. But, you know, I believe even more than that, your home is something sacred. It's something uniquely personal. Your home is special. And when I began to prepare for this message, I started to pray and I asked God, God, what do you want people to know about your house? God, what do you want us to tell people about your house? And you know what? I believe that God has a dream house and it's called the church. It's called the church. I want to talk to you today about God's dream house. And you know what? The church is not a building. The church is not an organization. The church is not an institution. The church is made up of people. You and I, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I make up the church. We are the church. And so as I begin to pray, God, what do you want people to see? What do you want people to know about your dream house. And as I begin to dig into that, you know, one question began to arise out of that, and that is, how do we, those of us that are following Jesus Christ, how do we become this dream house for God? How can we transform ourselves and become a dream house for God? How do we become a house, more importantly, that would draw people home for Christmas? that would attract people to come home that maybe have walked away from their faith, have walked away from the church. This past week, I had breakfast with a couple that attend here at our central campus, and we begin to talk about our love for Freedom House, how much Freedom House has just changed our lives, how much we love our church and just have so much fun here. And, but we also got talking about our church history, because I grew up in church. Some of you, maybe you're new to church. I, I grew up in church. I've been in church a long time. And this couple, they too had grown up in church. And so they had this history, and we began to talk about what church had meant in our lives. And you know what? In their life, and I can tell you in mine, sometimes growing up, church wasn't this free and fun place to be. Sometimes church was a place where you come in and you feel like there's a finger pointing in your face where everybody's worried about what you're wearing and do I fit in and who's watching me and am I, am I lining up with everything and what's going to happen next and politics and hypocrites and we know all the words. That's what church has become to many people in America who grew up in churches that weren't God's dream house. And we don't want to be that church. I don't want to be that church and there's many misconceptions about the church. We all know that there are times, sadly enough, that we as the church, we fail. There are times that as the church, we don't handle everything perfectly. I know sometimes, and this topic was a little tough for me to put together, because I know sometimes in my life, I don't feel like maybe I'm representing Jesus always the best way that I can. And I want to be a dream house for God. I want to be a part of this dream house for God. I want to represent the heart of God to people. So, so how do we do that? And I think where we start, I think is we start with a question. If the church can be so messed up, if the church can be full of hypocrites and judgmental people, if the church is full of imperfect people, why did God pick the church? Why didn't he pick something else? You ever wonder that? God, why did you pick the church? And you know, 
I believe that God picked a church because God is opposite from us. You see, if, it, if you left it up to me, if I left it up to you, we would pick things that were smart. We would pick things that are elite. We would pick things that are, that are put together. We would pick things that were perfect. Heck, if you left it up to me and you, there probably wouldn't be anybody in the church. Because I don't know about you, but I know sometimes in my life, I don't even measure up to my own standards. And so if God left it up to us to pick who could or who could not come into the church, if we were the standard setter people, nobody would come to church. Nobody would measure up to church. But you see, God doesn't choose the way that we as men choose. God doesn't see like we see. You see, God chooses the foolish. God chooses the foolish. It says in 1 Corinthians 1, and this is uh, verse 26 through 29, it says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one, no one, no one ever can boast in the presence of God. You see... God doesn't pick like we pick. God picks the foolish things. You see, I want to take you on a, on a journey just for a second. And what I'm going to ask you to do is very, very hard if you, like me, has grown up in church. If you've grown up in church and you've grown up in faith, you've probably never considered what this looks like from the other side. But just for a few minutes... I want to ask you to consider the history of the church, the history of our faith from a natural perspective. Pretend for a second there is no God. Can you do that? It's hard. If you grew up in it's hard for me. But pretend just for a second that there is no God, that the Bible's not true, and let's just think through this from a, a natural human perspective. Think about this. Nothing the church really does. If you think about the activities we do as church, nothing we do should really matter. What happened to start the church? You see, 2,000 years ago, some carpenter's son, he was killed by the Romans. Now, have you ever thought about it? Who was Jesus really in a natural sense? Now, we know that Jesus was the Son of God, but if you take that knowledge out of it, was Jesus anything special to the Romans? Was Jesus a religious leader known around the world? No, he was known by maybe a few thousand people, something in this tiny little place called Israel. Was he a, a military leader? Did he have armies to command? Was Jesus a governmental leader? Was he a king? Was he a governor? Was he anybody really to show up on the radar screen? No. Historically speaking, if you take God out of the equation, Jesus really didn't matter that much. He was a carpenter's son. He was born in a stable. The Romans crucified him. They killed him. Then he had this band of disciples that went around testifying that they saw him raised from the dead, 
Which, think about it, if there is no God, that's impossible. That can't happen. So this nobody guy I've never heard of before was killed by this powerful country. They crucified him. This little band of people went around saying, hey, we saw him raised from the dead. And what did this band of people begin to do? What was their master plan to take over the world? They said, hey, we're going to go to Bob's house. And, and we're going to pray. And we're going to pretend to drink Jesus' blood and eat his flesh. We'll call it communion. Anybody else that wants in the club, we're going to take them down to the river on the weekend and we're going to dunk them in the water. I don't see how this plan can fail. I mean, Romans who? I mean, we're going to take over the world. Think about that for a minute. How crazy does that sound? How crazy does it sound that a group of people with no education... No money, no political connections at all, no army behind them. We know 2,000 years later that this small group of nobodies changed the course of human history. They changed the entire world. How did they do it? I want someone that doesn't believe in God to explain to me how the disciples, how this band of followers, these fishermen, how did they change the world? Give me step one. Give me step two. I want to know how it happened. Because when you take God out of the equation, none of it makes sense. And as I begin to study this out, what God began to show me is the reason that God picked the church is because without God, the church is useless. It's the one thing you cannot extract God from and it retain any value. The moment you take God out of the church, the church becomes useless. It makes no sense. We're just a bunch of weirdos dunking people in the river. Right? But we all know when you include a little bit of faith. We know that because God is real. We, because we know that Jesus really was the son of the living God. We know that because of that, when we dunk people in that water, something happens. We know when we eat that little bit of bread and that little bit of juice, we know that something happens. We know that because he is real and he is risen, that when we, get, we come here and we pray and we do church, we know something happens. There's a power in what we do. And there's a pattern of this throughout Scripture. Think about Abraham and Sarah. The Bible says that Abraham is the father of faith. Why did God go to a guy that's 100 years old to start a nation and his wife's barren? Why didn't God pick somebody that had 15 kids? Everybody had 15 kids back then. That's all they did. There was no Netflix. There was just chill. So, that's all they had. I'm, I'm just being real. That's all they had. So everybody had 15 kids. Why didn't God pick one of them? Why didn't God pick somebody that fit the mold? Because God wouldn't have gotten the glory. God wouldn't, There's all these other nations. Why didn't God pick Rome? Why did God pick Israel? Why didn't he pick Egypt? Egypt was more powerful. 
Egypt had more money. Egypt had more armies. Egypt had more soldiers. Egypt had, you know, I mean, come on. They ruled the world. Why didn't God pick them? Because God won't share his glory. God wants the credit. God wants the glory. Think about Jesus. Did Jesus come down on a chariot of fire for the world to see? Did Jesus step out of the chariot with glowing robes? Legions of angels behind him. I am that I am. No, he was born in a stable. He, he came humble. Jesus didn't come in a, in a chariot of fire. You look at Abraham. You look at Israel. You look at Jesus himself. God always chooses the foolish things. God always chooses things that don't make any natural sense because God wants the glory. He's not going to share his glory with us. You see, governments, armies, businesses, they can all accomplish their earthly goals and not give any glory to God. If you're running Microsoft right now, you know what? You can, you can beat your chest. You can say, look what we've done. Look at all the money we've made. Look at all the technology. If you're running Apple computers, right? You can take a little credit, but not the church. There's not one of us in here that can take credit for anything God has done. Because we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. We are totally and completely power, powerless without God. And you know what? Because of that, we have to be humble. We have to be humble. I, I worked with this guy a while back, and he began to share with me that he, he told me one day, he said, Olin, he said, if, if all Christians were like you, he said, I would, I would probably be one. And he said, because you and I disagree on things, but he said, I know you love me. I know you love me. And I said, well, tell me about that. And he said, well, man, he said, all through my life, he said, I grew up in church, but he said, people in the church judge me. People in the church were hypocrites. People in the church would, would, would put me down. People in the church always think they're better than everybody else. And I said, man, you know, that's really impossible. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, anybody that has a true understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be arrogant. He said, what do you mean by that? And I said, the gospel, the core of the gospel is this, man. I'm so messed up. I can't do it on my own. So I have to have a God to save me because I can't save myself. That's what being a Christian is all about. I said, people who don't believe, people who won't accept Christ, to me are arrogant. And he said, well, how was that? I said, because you think you've got it all together. You don't need God to save you. We think we do. So anybody you feel like has judged you, they didn't have a proper understanding of the gospel. Because if you have a proper understanding of the gospel, you'll be part of God's dream house. You'll be humble. You see, if all this is true, it means this. It means God chose the church for our weakness, not our strength. God chose us for our weakness, not our strength. And so the next time somebody starts to tell you that, man, the church is messed up, the church, the church is full of hypocrites, the church is full of people that are imperfect, say, that's right. <laughs> and that's right, and thank God for it. Because if that wasn't the case, I couldn't be part of it. God shows us for our weakness. So if this is true, what do we need to do to become part of this dream house that God wants? 
If we need to be humble, if we need to stop judging, if we need to become part of this dream house for God, what do we need to do? Number one, number one, I believe we need to focus on the gospel. We need to focus on the gospel. You see, the foundation of God's dream house is the simple but powerful gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and his resurrection. We need to focus on the gospel. Let's read, and this is just further down from where we read before it, and this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, when I first came to you, and this is Paul, the apostle speaking, and Paul, if there's ever been someone knowledgeable about the Bible, if there's ever been someone that could brag on their knowledge, it was Paul. But listen to what Paul says. He says, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust, not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. You see, sometimes we think we're timid to share our faith because we think we don't know enough. But see, God has not called us to be theologians. God has called us to be witnesses. God has not called you to be a salesman. God has called you to be a witness. And you see, if you can talk somebody into it, somebody else can talk them out of it. It's not my job to convince people of the gospel. It's my job to witness as to what Jesus has done in my life. You see, well, we can argue all day long, but one thing I've learned is there is no effective argument against the demonstrated power of God. When we can stand before people and say, let me tell you that the blind see. Let me tell you about the marriages that are being restored. Let me tell you about 500 kids that are getting bicycles this Christmas. Let me show you a video of the parents crying and weeping because they couldn't buy their kids Christmas, but now they have a bicycle. Let me show you this, this video. Let me tell you the stories. Let me tell you, there's no argument against that. People can't sit and out argue you or defeat your, your theology when you're showing them life change. That's what's going to draw people in, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, people today want to argue about everything. We take so much pride in our wisdom and our knowledge, but you know what the truth is? God is after our hearts, not our heads. You can convince people, you can outreason somebody, but until you get to their heart... Until you get to their heart, there's not going to be any change. Years ago, I was a young adult pastor, and we did this, uh, this Monday night deal. And uh, we, we'd shoot basketball and play volleyball. We'd cook out and have food and everything. It was fun. And uh, some of the, the young adults, they would bring their friends and friends that they didn't really know what to say. They, like, they wanted them to receive Christ, and they didn't really know. And they'd just bring them, and then they'd bring them over to me and say, Hey, y'all talk. <laughs> and just kind of run off. And so I just start talking to him. And I remember this one guy. And man, we were just reasoning. He, I've read the Quran. I've read the whole Bible cover to cover. And I mean, he was going back with me, man. Everything I knew, he knew better. He could counter it. I mean, every, I couldn't out-argue the guy. He, I mean, he was brilliant. 
And then the Spirit of God spoke to me. And I stopped. He kept talking. All of a sudden, he goes, what's up? And I said, you know, you don't want to receive Jesus Christ because you don't want to stop sinning. And he went, yeah, you're right. And I said, you know what? That's okay, man. I love you. Let me pray with you. Because you know what? I could sit there and argue with that guy for another hour. He knew and I knew. It wasn't that he didn't believe. It wasn't that he didn't understand enough about the Bible. He wasn't ready to stop sin. Until someone's heart's ready to receive, you can argue with them all day long. You're not going to get anywhere. We have to be sensitive to that and know that God's not called us to be salespeople. You can win the argument or you can win the person. Which one do you think God would prefer in his dream house? I think God wants his dream house built on people that rather win the person than the argument. And because of that, we have to keep our focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you, keep your opinions out of it. When people want to bait you into political conversations, when they want to get you on Facebook and lure you out into the deep waters, what do you believe about X, about this social issue? This is what I believe. I believe Jesus died for you, and I love you. That's what I believe. Argue that. <laughs> people can't argue against love. And when we focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to make it clear that we bring good news. I heard this story the other day. This, this lady was, um, she was struggling financially and this uh, guy, he was doing pastoral care and he went to visit her home and, and she was supposed to be here and he was coming to bring her some finances because she was gonna get evicted. And he came and he knocked on the door and he knocked once he waited. There was nothing. Man, he was really excited to help this lady out, and so he knocked again. Nothing. He knocked a third time, waited a while. She never came. He went away, said he had the finances. He knew, man, I could help her. She doesn't need to be evicted. I could help her. About a week later, he ran into the lady. He goes running up to her, and he said, Hey, I came to help. I had the finances to help you. You said you were going to be home. You, I thought you were going to be there. What happened? And a tear began to stream down her face. And she said, I was there. She said, the reason I didn't answer the door was I didn't know it was you. I thought it was the landlord. You see, too many times when we go to share the gospel, people think we're the landlord. We've got to make it clear to people that we bring good news. The gospel is good news. The second thing, and this is what we're going to end on tonight, is focus on relationship. We have to focus on relationship. I saw a survey recently, and I think it was done by the, the Barna, Barna Institute, and they, they survey churches, people all across the nation. And they had surveyed people that, that went to church, and they said, you know, what are all the different reasons why you go to church? You'll never guess the number one reason why people who actually attend church regularly, you'll never believe the number one reason why people go to church. 
It's not to get their needs met. It's not for community. It's to have a closer relationship with God. Isn't that simple? People just want to know God. People want to have a relationship with God. Don't ever assume that people are just focused on their problems. Their problems matter. But people have an insatiable hunger and desire to know God. People want to touch something divine. They want to feel connected with their creator. People want something deeper and more meaningful than more money and a happy family. People want to know God. When we make church about what we can get out of it, we reduce our faith to a self-help program. That's not what God has called us to do. You see, God wants his dream house focused on him. It says in John 14, and this is verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Can you remember the day that Jesus made his home in you? I can. I went to a church as a child, and uh, if you would have asked me if I was a Christian, I would have told you yes. I go to church. I believe in God. I read the Bible. But I wasn't. I was all about me. I was selfish. My heart was full of sin. I had never turned it over to God to change me. I was just going through the motions, coming to church, because my mom made me, really. And I'll never forget, it's a good mama. I'll never forget this Sunday, I walk in the church, and uh, the pastor at that time later became my uncle, and he was singing this song, Can He Still Feel the Nails? And don't be afraid, I'm not going to sing. It's okay, calm down. I saw some people ready to bolt. But I remember this song, Can He Still Feel the Nails Every Time I Fail? Can he hear the crowd cry, crucify again? Am I causing him pain? Then I know I've got to change. I just can't bear the thought of hurting him. I remember that day so vividly because I didn't care what anybody thought about me. There was a door kind of like this one over here up in the front on the side of the church and I went running and burst through that door. I ran up this hill behind the church and there was this little swing set. And I sat on that swing set and I just would swing back and forth, just crying my eyes out. And I didn't know the words to say. I hadn't been to Bible college. I didn't have a pastor there to lead me through. But in that moment, I said some simple words. I just said, God, I don't want to hurt you anymore. Change me. Change me. Because in that moment, I realized I couldn't change me. And I needed him. And in that moment, something happened. He came and he made his home in me. And I can tell you this. Since that day, when Jesus made his home in me, I have not been perfect. But I have been different. I haven't arrived but I have left. I am on my way and God is working in my life 
Not because I'm elite and I'm smart and I've got it all figured out. Remember, God chooses the foolish things. And I can stand up here before you today and proudly say, I am a foolish thing. Thank God I'm a foolish thing. I couldn't do it. I had to say, God, change me. Come and make your home in me. And so I want to ask you, can you remember that day? That day when Jesus made his home in you. Can you remember it? Have you ever had that encounter with God where you let go of trying to be, trying to do, trying to earn Trying to do it in yourself and you said, God, I just can't. I'm, I just have to have you, God. Just change me. Have you had that experience with Jesus? I want to ask you just for a moment. Would you stand on your feet with me? See, why the church is because, man, we're all just people. We're all imperfect people. We're all broken people. And God wants to use people like us to be his dream house, to draw people home for Christmas. I think the most common complaint to church is that the church is full of hypocrites. You've all heard that one. But here's the thing. If you're here and you're letting a hypocrite stand between you and God, the hypocrite's closer to God than you are. Don't let a hypocrite, don't let what someone has done interfere with your personal relationship with God. And that's a message we need to take to everybody we know, everybody we meet. When I was a kid, me and my grandmother, we like to, we like to make puzzles together sometimes. And have you ever made a puzzle and you get almost done with it and you're missing just one piece? And there's nothing more aggravating than that. I remember you flip the table over, flip the couch over. I've got to have that one piece. And you know what? God in heaven, he's looking for that one piece, man. We've got a, we've got a beautiful picture here at Freedom House. We've got a puzzle we're putting together. But you know what? You might be that one missing piece. That neighbor that you know, that coworker that you have, they could be that one missing piece. And God is like flipping the furniture over, looking for that one piece because every piece matters to God. And so I want to ask you to, tonight, if you would bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. And if that's you, maybe you're that missing piece. You've never had that encounter with God. You've never let him make his home in you. And you want to do that. You want to do that right now. Nobody's looking around. This is just a moment between you and God. And I want to ask you just to make a simple act of faith. Would you raise your hand up right now? We just want to say a prayer. We want to make the introduction. That's all. If that's you, would you raise your hand up right now? I see that hand. I see that hand. And that's awesome. The Bible says when even one, even one comes to faith, the angels rejoice. There's like a, just a party in heaven. So I want to ask everybody, would everybody repeat this prayer? I want us to pray it together. Say, Father God, I just thank you right now that you love me. I want to love you 
I want to have that relationship. I want you to make your home in me. Forgive me. Come in my heart. I believe you died. I believe you rose from the dead. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe. And hey, if you want to find out more about our church or how you can be a part, go to freedomhouse.cc.